Thanks for doing that, everybody. There's something really helpful in sharing and naming what we're feeling, but then there's also something really heavy in then beginning to carry it, what other people are feeling. And there's, there's a lot of honor in the room when we can do that with, with each other. I pray the Lord blesses that. Can I, can I name one of my feelings? I don't know what to do today. I didn't know what to do this week. And as I shared in my little film, my role is one, you gotta do something. You know, I'm, I'm gonna talk one way or another. And it makes it look like I know what I'm doing because I'm up here. It didn't feel like it though. And so I, I guess I'm asking for a little bit of grace today as I search for words. As you, if you know me, you know I'm kind of a planner. I, I look into the future. And this sermon was already kind of mapped out and planned out um, in December. And I thought I was talking about church planting and what it looks like for a church to think about the mission that we're on. But now that this week is here, I realize that my words will be heard, yes, through that lens in terms of what we're doing as a church, but it'll be heard through another lens as well. And could you give me grace if it's a little too on point for the moment? I want to explore this question today. How does transformation come in the kingdom of heaven? How does transformation come in the kingdom of heaven? I've been struck, I was reading a book called The Life We're Looking For by a guy named Andy Crouch. It was my favorite book that I read last year. And then at the end of the year, I reread it. And he has this section on this word, impact. You know what impact is. He defines it as instantaneous, concentrated force. You know what impact. One time I was playing football in a hallway at my house when I was a kid with my brothers. And we threw a pass, one brother got tackled and his head made impact with a wall. And you could tell because there was a crater in the drywall where it had been. Good thing there wasn't a stud there because he almost went all the way through. You know what impact is? It's force concentrated into time and space. It's impact. Impact is, when some of these metaphors just won't work. I'm sorry. It's where you have a drill and you, you just can't get through the brick because you're trying to hang a light on the outside. And what you need is an impact driver, something that has not just a spinning, but a hammer force to push it through. Impact is where somebody swings a sword or throws a spear and it collides. Impact is when I was a kid, when I would get in trouble with my mom or dad. Force in a time and a space that was always waiting for me whenever I would get in trouble. There was impact coming, and I, I knew it. You know impact. But I have desired impact in a lot of moments in my life. Whenever I see a problem, I desire impact. I want to do something about it. As a parent, whenever my kids are misbehaving, especially if I'm in public, I want to impact the situation in if it requires force, that's my temptation. In an instant, I want the problem resolved. Unfortunately, that's not how children work. But I desire impact. I desire impact. I was looking back at the last year whenever we launched. Last, year, last week, we celebrated our one-year anniversary as a church. 
And I was looking back at some of my remarks that I had made a year before, before we ever launched, and I spoke of impact. We want impact, don't we? We want impact when we're working with, with somebody who has lots of childhood trauma. And we just want it all to go away fast. We want to bring all of our force instantaneous to take care of it. We want impact when we see injustice in our city and we want a change to come today. We want impact. And it is not lost on me that Tyree Nichols lost his life because of impact. So that's where I'm not even sure what I'm talking about today. But do you feel that desire for impact today? Impact requires power. You know, it requires clout. It requires a voice. It requires votes. It requires money. It requires technology. It, it takes power put into a moment and put into a space. Now, I've desired impact. Until a generation ago, Kraft says, not only was impact never used as a verb, but it was used almost entirely in a negative context. A wisdom tooth could be impacted. Tia Le Leone might have to be dispatched in the film Deep Impact to prevent the impact of an asteroid on Earth. Impact denotes concentrated force over a short amount of time, and the laws of physics dictate that most impacts are unpleasant. We might well wonder why we would choose to use a verb associated with an event like that that would raise your insurance rates and require a trip to the doctor as a suitable metaphor for the transformation of a culture. The answer, of course, is that we are fascinated by the power of instantaneous concentrated force. When something or someone breaks into the world with such irresistible and overwhelming power so quickly that everything is broken and rearranged. When I look at the problems of the world, I want impact. When I look at the problems of our city, I want impact. Whenever I think about church planting and what we could do in this part of the city, I want impact. Whenever I think about people with all our complexity, I want impact. But then I look at Jesus, and impact just isn't the word that describes him. Can we explore that today? How does the kingdom of heaven come? He, he talks about the kingdom of heaven a good bit, especially in the gospel of Matthew. And this year, we're, we're pulling from Matthew really all year long. I'm so excited. Matthew has so many riches for us. And in this series, Oikos is Home, we've looked at the language of Oikos in Matthew. He says, you need to build your house on the rock. And what he means is, the only way to actually have a secure foundation is to build it on discipleship to Jesus. We looked at this language of the house of prayer. He says, I want my house to be a house of prayer for all nations. And so we talked about how we're praying for and working for a culture of prayer and worship at Oikos Church so that we can be a house of prayer for all nations. Last week, we talked about this idea of longing for home. And Peter asked this question of Jesus. He says, if I leave my oikos, that's the word he uses in Greek, but if I leave my home and my mother and my father and my sisters and my brothers, what is there for us who have left everything? 
And Jesus tells him, you get 100 times more and eternal life. But this week, we're going to look at how Matthew uses the language of home in a slightly different way. We'll get there in just a moment. But first, we're going to be in Matthew 13. Matthew 13 in the Coffee House Bible is on page 839. 839. Matthew 13, Jesus tells three parables. And each of the parables starts out with this line, the kingdom of heaven is like. And he gives pretty good concrete kind of all the metaphors from everyday life to explain what the kingdom of heaven is like and how it comes. Listen, listen, the one who has ears to hear, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in this field. So this metaphor is all about somebody who owns a field and they scatter seed. But he says, while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. This word weed is it's a type of poisonous ryegrass that in the early stages, it looks just like wheat. The, the problem is, it's a poisonous ryegrass, it's not wheat. So when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. And the owner, this is actually the word oikodespotes, he's the, the homeowner, the head of the house. When the head of the house, his servants came to him, he said, sir, don't you know, d- didn't you sow good seed in your, in your field? Where did the weeds come from? And he said, an enemy did this. And the servants asked him, do you want us to go and to pull them up? No, he answered, because while you were pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them up in bundles, to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. That's that's the first parable he shares. He's actually going to come back to this parable. He does one, two, three, and then he explains this one. Hold on to all of what this says, but do you at least see his main point here? He says there's multiple seeds in the same field, and the kingdom of heaven comes like this. It comes with tangled roots. So that if you were to try to pull out something, it would impact the other roots too in ways that wouldn't be helpful. And Jesus says there is, there is a day of impact coming, but right now it's delayed. Until that time, wait on the harvest. Do you see how the kingdom of heaven comes? It's slow. You have to wait. Delayed and it's a tangled mess. The next parable starts in verse 31, the parable of the mustard seed. He told them another parable the kingdom of heaven is like, the first one was about seed, this one is too, but really the first one was about a field that has everything tangled up. This one is about a type of seed, a mustard seed. Mustard seed in Palestine, in, in kind of Jewish parables. It was often a, a proverb because it was so well-known. It was a tiny, tiny seed in Palestine, the smallest seed in the whole area. He says, a man took it and he planted it in his field. And though it's the smallest of seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Do you see the meaning of this parable? If the first one is about the tangled mess and the waiting until the harvest, what's this about? It's about something that was small that takes a long time 
to grow into something large and helpful. It's slow. It's tiny. It's insignificant. How does the kingdom of heaven come? It doesn't come with sound and fury. It comes in the insignificance of Jesus. Let me share a quote from a, a commentator. He says, Israel always believed that when God's kingdom was established on earth, it would be great. They were not prepared for an insignificant beginning. What may not look like much to the world will, in fact, fulfill all God's promises. And so it's tangled up and it's small and tiny. And then he tells another parable, the parable of the yeast. He says, he told him another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. A lot of translations use the word leaven, same idea. That a woman took and she mixed into, literally she's hiding it into about 60 pounds of flour. That's a huge bag of flour until it worked all through the dough. You see the idea here? It's mixed into. The kingdom of heaven is inconspicuous. It's hidden. It's indiscernible at times. Another place Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven isn't like, you see, hey, it's over there, or hey, it's over there. The kingdom of heaven, he says, it's in your midst. It's invisible. It's so striking that for Jesus, he spoke all these things to the crowd in parables, but he didn't say anything to them without using a parable. It seems like Jesus was intentionally obscure with the crowds. And so he fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Jesus is hiding things instead of exposing things. He's choosing a different tactic than impact even in his public ministry. Then he left the crowd and went into the house, and his disciples came to him. What's concealed from the crowds is revealed to the disciples. And they said, explain it to us. What does the parable of the weeds in the field mean? What does this mean? And so he answered, this is going to be like a one-to-one -one correspondence. He says, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. That's Jesus' favorite way of talking about himself. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. Kingdom people, Jesus' people. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Then he says, as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age, at the great harvest time. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Jesus, His teaching ministry is very odd. He talks intentionally in what he calls hiddenness, obscurity, concealment. And then it's only when he pulls away with his disciples that he actually clears things up and does 
maybe more meaningful teaching. I'm struck by this, that the coming of the kingdom is tangled, it's small, and it's secret. It's delayed. It's insignificant. It's hidden. I want impact. We want impact. Jesus understands the desire for impact. But instead, he chooses influence. He chooses a slow way. Look at this. He teaches in obscurity, but then look at how he does this teaching with the disciples, where he actually starts clearing things up. It says he left the crowd, and he went into the house. Now, you, you know me. I love the word oikos in the New Testament. That's exactly the word that he uses here. But this isn't the only time in Matthew where he uses this word. This seems to be the house of Peter and Andrew. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 14, he goes to Peter's house, and there is a sick woman. It's Peter's mother-in-law. She stays at the house. And Jesus does some of his most meaningful ministry in this house. And a little later, this seems to be like a house that's near the sea, and so he kind of stops in. He teaches here. He pulls in. He helps sick people here. He's connecting deeply over time in a house. In the next chapter, in Matthew chapter 9, he's in the house of a man named Matthew. Matthew is a tax collector. He throws this big party. Jesus comes into his house, and he's, he's surrounding. He's at the table with sinners. He's encountering people in more meaningful ways than the obscurity of his public teaching. But in the house, he slows down. In the house, he connects with people. In the house, he hears the stories of sinners and sick, and he helps them. Later on, he's in the house of a, they call him a ruler. He's a ruler of the synagogue. He, he, doesn't, he just moves from house to house to house to house in the Gospel of Matthew. He does the same thing in the Gospel of Luke. One commentator of Luke, I think I've shared this before, he says in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is either eating a meal with somebody or he's on his way to eat a meal with somebody. He's constantly sharing tables with people. Somehow, Jesus' public ministry is intentionally obscure, but his, his private ministry in the house is slow. It's personal. It's relational. So I'm calling this the speed of home. I mean, I think that's the speed that Jesus uses in his ministry whenever he actually wants to, to produce meaningful change. He doesn't choose impact. He chooses the speed of home. Some of you may be thinking, but Jesus made an impact, didn't he? Of course, of course he did, right? I mean, the world has changed because of Jesus. No one has changed this world more than Jesus of Nazareth. But what I'm saying is that his strategy for doing so didn't exactly look like the language of, of impact. You could look at the end of Matthew, Matthew 28. He says, go therefore into all the world. I want you to make disciples of all nations. He has this global plan to make disciples of everybody. But do you know how Jesus does it? Yeah, we do. In Matthew chapter 10, he tells his disciples, his, here's a little training ground for when he sends them out. You know what he tells them to do? He says, I want you to go to a house. I want you to knock on the door. And I want you to stay there for a while. And if you're welcomed, you stay. And if you're not welcomed, he says, just kick the dust off your feet and go on to a different house. He says, it's the speed of home where his ministry is actually, the kingdom of heaven comes through the speed of home. It is tangled and tiny and obscure and hidden. But when it comes, this is how it seems to come in the Gospels. 
Yes, he made an impact. We think of people like the 120 that turned into 3,000 in Acts 2. We think of people like the Ethiopian eunuch whose world is turned upside down. Saul of Tarsus, who, who has this, you know, shining light moment where he goes from blind to seeing. Yes, he was impacted, sure. We have known people impacted by Jesus. But rarely does he use force, and rarely does he do it in an instant. Instead, the way that Jesus changed the world Yes, sudden, dramatic, and indeed revolutionary, Crouch says, they, as far as they're directly concerned, but they were anything but revolutionary on a cultural scale. He says, if you just think of what Jesus did and the encounters that he had with people, most people in the world just went on about their lives. The Passover that Jesus was crucified, there was another Passover the year later. And I'm sure there were some people like, hey, that was weird last year. Yeah, yeah, it was. How about some matzah, you know? It was just like life goes on. There was, another, there was another Messiah who would come. There was another Messiah who would come and, I, I say Messiah, a would-be Messiah who would come and die. This was just another thing. We'll go on to the next one. We'll go on to the next one. Jesus made no, you know, writings. There were no inscriptions about Jesus. He made no impact in terms of that. He made no imp- Most revolutionaries would at least have a coin impacted with their face on it, but Jesus never had a coinage. You can imagine that the Roman official, the one who woke up and discovered that the the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty, you can imagine that he had to write that down somewhere. And he had to tell somebody about it, but then he was probably like, well, that was a weird day at the office. What What are you doing next Saturday? Life went on for most people who lived in the time of Jesus. Crouch says, if we're looking for the kind of cultural change that the first Christian movement fostered in the Roman world, impact simply is not the metaphor we're looking for. Skeptics 2,000 years later would be able to seriously doubt whether he even existed at all. On a cultural scale, in the face of the empire that put him to death, he made no impact. Consider this, the most dramatic events of the Son of God, his incarnation, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. Just consider these three. They all involve a borrowed home and a borrowed space. In Matthew chapter 2, you remember when the Magi are coming to this newborn child? He has to go to a borrowed house that has no room, and he's actually laid in a manger within the house. This word oikos is used here in Matthew 2, 11. The Magi come, they saw the child with his mother on coming to the house, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. The incarnation of the Son of God, the Creator come in the flesh, and it's a borrowed house. It's not impactful. Everybody passes by. The crucifixion, his last supper before he is crucified on a Roman cross, Matthew 26, 18, again uses the language of oikos. He says, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. He borrows another house. And then he institutes not the plan for revolution, but he institutes the table where we remember the bread and the cup. Consider the resurrection. He's taken down off the cross and he's laid into yet another home. It's borrowed. It's the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. The most significant events that have ever shaped this world were in borrowed spaces and borrowed homes that Jesus used for real meaningful change. That's how the kingdom of heaven comes. 
A home borrowed by Jesus has the potential for greater change, for lasting transformation than the impact that I crave. So what do we do with this? I think there's a call for God's people to practice the imitation of Jesus and the speed of home. Though our hearts long for impact, the lasting personal and cultural change that we desire is not achieved through impact. I was thinking of the scorpion unit that the police were a part of. Somebody wanted impact. But imagine if they had chosen the table instead. The imitation of Jesus means that that the people of the kingdom, that's what he calls us, the ones who are going to shine like the sun in in their father's house, we we choose seeds, not swords. I was thinking of, you know, our government is sending tanks over to Ukraine. But the people of the kingdom, we choose tables, not tanks. I was thinking of Jewish revolutionaries that they would have thought Jesus was going to be like, like Judas the hammer. But we sing hymns. We're not hammers. And that doesn't mean that there's not lasting change that's produced by them. This is the way that the kingdom of heaven comes where lasting change is actually produced. Though our desire is for impact, the way of Jesus and the way of the kingdom shows us that there's another way. I was reflecting on one of the most famous missionaries. He's a guy named William Carey. In the 1800s, he leaves his home, he goes into a foreign land, and he wants to proclaim the gospel to people who don't know about Jesus Christ. He's one of the first of what we would call missionaries. And for years he labored before he made a single convert because he knew that he had to take a different way, a way of love and a way of embracing the people that he encountered, a way of learning their language, of learning their culture, of becoming friends and experiencing tables together, that he knew he needed to teach them to read and give them education, that the way of the kingdom, it was going to be slower than a lot of folks might have wanted. People questioned Carrie. They said, you think that you're going to be needed to do this, this work for God? He says, when God, they told him, they said this, when God is ready to convert the heathen, he'll do it on his own with or without you. What do you, what do you think you're doing? And he chose to do this long, slow, hidden, obscure, delayed work of sharing the gospel and cultivating it through the speed of home. That's really our vision for ministry here at Oikos Church. This is not a get big quick. There are other churches that have more money and more power. They have more technology and more, you know, all of this stuff. We intentionally choose a different approach, and the approach is the word oikos. It's home. Because this is the way of Jesus, and this is also the way of the early church. Talk more about that in just a second. We're the people who sing our resistance to the empire. And we claim that we surrender to another king. We pray our laments to our God, and he hears us. We wait on the kingdom in slow and small and in secret ways. 
But with the imitation of Jesus, there's also an invitation from Jesus. Because Jesus didn't have a home. He was constantly in homes. He was always in houses. He went from house to house. His people went from house to house. But Jesus didn't own a home. He says, foxes have holes, birds of the nest, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus is totally dependent for his ministry, for his meaningful change, for real transformation. He's dependent on the homes of other people. Do you hear the invitation that's built in here? What influence could Jesus have if he borrowed your home? I wonder. I was talking to Kelsey this week, and she asked me that question. I was like, I need to use that. (laughs) Jesus is looking for homes to borrow. And the kingdom of heaven comes to the speed of home. And he's looking for houses and tables. He's looking for people who will welcome others in, the sick and the sinner, not for impact, but for the slow work of love, for the slow work of home. This is where the real stuff really happens. Let me, let me illustrate with the empire, the olive tree, and the table of the Lord, and then we'll be done. In the empire of Rome, there were all kinds of impactful leaders, right? They had money, they had power, they had military, they had swords to make impacts, they had spears, they had catapults. At one point, there was a slave rebellion. Do you remember the story of Spartacus? Spartacus rose up with thousands and thousands, but the empire impacted him. They quelched the rebellion, and to put an exclamation point and a final move of impact, they crucified the last 6,000 slaves along the Appian Way. 6,000 crucifixions left to be a reminder of a violent impact that would happen. It's in this world that we see the kingdom of heaven come. And it comes through crucifixion. And another man put on display to display this is what will happen if you try to resist. And that same time, there's olive, olive trees and olive groves everywhere. Did you know an olive tree takes about eight years to grow before it ever produces its first edible fruit? But did you know that there are actually olive trees that are still alive and bearing fruit that were there in the time of Jesus? That's not impact. That's a good seed. That's a good seed that's given time, and then over time it produces fruit, and the harvest is coming. This is the language of Jesus. But the last piece here is the empire, the olive tree, and the table of the Lord. We get these glimpses of tables as Paul and and Luke, as they write down documents. One of these is at the table of a man named Gaius. Gaius is, he's one of those head of the house. He's somebody. And this day, Gaius has invited Erastus. He's the oikonomos of the city. He's somebody too. He's like the CFO. You got a guy who's somebody inviting a guy who's somebody And then there's Paul who keeps telling everybody, I'm a nobody. And Paul has invited some friends to this table. He's got a guy named Tertius. Tertius is there. He's the scribe. Tertius out on the street as a nobody, but he's somebody at this table. Tertius 
is the man who wrote the letter that we call Romans. His name just means third. It's like his parents ran out of names. And he says, Cortus is also here, our brother. His name just means fourth. It's probably his blood brother, but Paul means it in a different way. And Priscilla's there. And Aquila's there. And Phoebe's there. And these people are gathered around the table for the worship of Jesus. And they just write a letter. And, and this letter, written with a group of people around a table and then sent from Gaius' house by Phoebe over to a Roman house, is the most important letter that the world has ever seen. It didn't make an impact as Phoebe carried it and read its contents and explained it to people. As it was received by another family of people from all these diverse places and backgrounds as they gathered around the table. You know, I think as, as a, a minister, as a planter, as a pastor, it's far more important that I just read again the letters than that I ever write something impactful. That as a church, it's far more important that we open up the poems of Israel and we read them again in lament to our God than it is to go striving for some impact here and now to anchor ourselves in this long story of what God is doing to bring the kingdom of heaven entangled up, delayed, slow, tiny, small, seemingly insignificant, hidden, obscure steps forward. And I think if we can embrace this as people, as we move at the speed of home, we will encounter people in the reality of how God is working through them. And if we can encounter our city as a church who is here for the duration, here for the hall, pointing and saying like Jermaine did in our prayer, we want this one thing, but if we have to wait for it all, all we can do is say, Lord, come quickly. As a church, we want to move at the speed of home. And so will you consider if Jesus is inviting you to borrow your home? Let me pray for you. Would you stand? Lord of the harvest, enlarge our hearts to wait. And in the gap and in the space between, enlarge our hearts to love and grant us your patience to see as you see and to serve as you serve, to love as you love, that we may open up our homes for people to be encountered by your kingdom. Thank you for your grace and mercy towards us in encountering us. Slow, one step forward, two steps back. And Lord, would you make us strong and fruitful for our labors in this city? Lord, come quickly. Amen.